Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Allison, your host and creator of the Locally Sourced Podcast. On today's episode, I have two very special guests. Their name is DJ and Blair. Blair is a the owner of Blair BAM Events, B-A-M, and DJ is from Spinner Music Production. So welcome, you guys. Thanks so much for having us, Allison. Thank you. Awesome. So you guys are both in the wedding or corporate events uh, service industry. How did you guys get started off in such an industry? My father, uh, my parents actually named me DJ as a joke because he was a DJ before I was born. Um, kind of literally fell into it, but I, I found some equipment when I was in single digits, eight, nine years old, started doing some family backyard parties or just when my parents were making dinner, we playing music. Um, and now we handle upwards, we've handled now over a couple, several million dollars worth of events in the Boston area, Fort Lauderdale, throughout New England, New York, uh, Connecticut, you name it, pretty much up and down the East Coast. We've now expanded to um, travel to and service there. Um, Blair's got a cool story, too. It's not that cool. Um, <laughs> I planned my wedding. Yeah, I planned my wedding in uh, 2013 and sort of fell in love with the process so I decided to open up a planning company two years after I got married in 2015. Um, I've been in the uh, wedding industry since I was 16 because we used to cater on the Cape for um, a company that my aunt used to work for so I'm not new to the industry at all um, and sort of bounced around before I found my little niche in my planning company and we service Boston, New England and we're in um, up and down the East Coast, I've done a few in Carolina and then um, in South Florida. So we're making making some moves on the East Coast. That's awesome. It, what was it about the wedding planning that you really enjoyed? Um, I love putting all the pieces together. Um, even for my business, I specialize in partial planning and day of management. So I sort of take everybody's hard work and put it all together and um, make the day come to life. A lot of people find wedding planning stressful. I know I did, and I wanted nothing to do with it. I just told everyone, do what you want. I'll see it when it comes out. And I, you know, it's, or you're the other side and you're like, yeah, you're the bridezilla. Um, so it's kind of interesting <laughs> out of all of that, you're like, you know what? I really enjoyed this. Let me do it as a career. And it's just so funny that that came about out of all of it. Um, you know, for you, DJ, was what was it about growing up with your father being a DJ that you really thought this is something I really enjoyed? Uh, I got to see some of the nightclub life at an early age. I'm kind of lucky I got that out of the way at an early age. So in my young teenage years, I was seeing all the dazzling lights and celebrities and all these artists and the biggest clubs and venues in downtown Boston, um, throughout the area and the casinos down south. But then he was largely in the radio and club world. I actually have nothing to do with either of those at all. I got a taste of radio at a family friend, Lady D, um, who is currently on Mix 104.1, I believe. Uh, she's been in radio since the dawn of uh, Jam 94.5 and Kiss. And they kind of said to me, if you really want to stick with this and make money in the corporate event world and weddings are the way to go. And it is largely because there's so many uh, upsell involved. It's not just the DJ. And I actually don't even get to DJ much anymore the last couple of years. It's more in a different aspect of the industry than what Blair does. My job is kind of taking Blair's orders and puppeteering, you know, an additional staff on top of that. So it's been, it's been challenging. Uh, we're kind of, we were at a point where we were making up as we went along. And now we've been lucky uh, an association that Blair actually is the immediate past president of an international live events association. ILEA it's called. That Blair kind of pulled me in there and kind of polished me a couple of years ago for us to be able to handle these larger scale events. And I think both of us now, our types of clients are the, the much more higher end. They have very high expectations. Um, a lot of them are laid back. We kind of gotten to the point of our careers where we can, you know, pick and choose and try to pick our clients. But literally falling into our lap, we've been very fortunate to have some really cool, um, really chic clients. So back when you first started, how was it just starting off a company such as that and trying to make a name for yourselves? Well, you want to take that one? I had a longer, much longer ramp up to the company. You did it quick. Uh, not that quick, kind of. So I um, just sort of started my company and found a couple clients and I ha have done a lot of growing. I have a lot of growing pains and I'm finding now that I have a lot more growing pains five years in um, because of COVID, I'll bring it up. <laughs> um, 
I've had to refine my process on how I sort of do things. So I'm going through another grow, growing pain um, at five years. So when I first started though, I think I kind of flew by my seat of the pants and started to get a little more um, refined probably two years in. And now I'm finding that I have to refine myself a little bit more again. Um, I do wish that I had taken, I have a bachelor's degree in business administration. So I do have a background, background knowledge in business, but I wish that I took a specific couple courses before I like dove in and started a business just on a whim. So that's definitely like advice that I give to a lot of event planners that are just starting out because there's no barrier to entry in the um, events world. So we kind of have a lot of people that throw themselves into the into the market and now we have the these other competitors. So, um, but. Well, I'll, I'll go off that point there. Like there's really no barriers to entry in this industry. I mean, only on the food service, I know there, you know, regulations and health guidelines and permitting and, and licenses and the rest of us can literally just start up a company and get going. So while Blair Ram turns up a lot quicker than mine, um, I mean, I'm in a whole different part of the industry than hers. We technically work for her job description um, versus the other way around. And so we, <laughs> growing up in Sonoma, I did all the middle school dances, every youth sporting event, every fundraiser for any organization you could think of, I got um, roped into. And it actually was a big uh, jumping point for us because we got a lot of our growing pains done as young teenagers and then a lot of people that I met over the years between high school and college that have stuck with us since that helped to grow the company. We, by, you know, young twenties had already like an successful established business that was putting up some pretty respectable numbers and we were able to grow with our competitors as well as they were, you know, building or peaking of their companies. A lot of them took us under their wing or we were able to ride off coattails for a little bit until we actually found our place and what we wanted to do, which was weddings. Yeah. So it just, it's interesting because, you know, I was going to ask you as teenagers, you know, as me, I was probably reckless. I probably couldn't own a business, let alone manage money. Did you guys have someone like consultants or mentors that kind of helped you through that? Yeah, no, I, it was pretty much me on my own. Um, I was always a little hustler. I was always, you know, I had my first job up in New Hampshire working at a ski mountain selling snacks for short money or for free lift tickets. I forget. But when the company started taking off and I started noticing the numbers that we were doing by my senior high school, I realized that I kind of had no choice but to buckle down work weekends. Um, aside from this, I worked also as in restaurant management and in catering sales and stuff uh, for actual wedding venues. So I, I've never been outside this industry so it's kind of easy to be propped up from multiple sides too as we were growing the company well it must have been interesting as teenagers to be that successful and kind of walking around time they're like oh that guy dj'd my prom or something to be well, a that lot way. of our brides right now are you know a lot of our brides are young 20s to young 30s and so they're all within the realm of the kids that would have been growing up in town and around the different schools in Middlesex and Essex County and Plymouth County that we worked at. So a lot of them do say like, you know, I booked you because you did my sweet 16 or you did. I've done one where I did the girls communion. Wow. Right. That must make that you feel old. I don't yeah, know. But that's just me. That would make me feel really old. in a But sense. I mean, I was also 13 years old when I started. So I wasn't far, you know, I was only five years older than her. You're like there dancing to all the music, the same music they have. Um, so yeah. it's, it's funny for you, Blair. Um, what was it like to just start off with all these brides? You know, do you have these brides who came in with like a Pinterest page and like, here we go. Is yeah, it, you know, that was kind of like the start of Pinterest. I have a feeling. It was. And I feel so Pinterest has probably been around. I feel like I started my Pinterest probably in 2013. So, you know, 2012, 2013. Um, I'm also a little bit older than DJ, so I didn't really like grow up with the internet like we have it now. So, um, you know, I laugh because we have no idea how we would plan weddings without cell phones now. It's very scary to think about. Um, so you have Pinterest spreads and the biggest takeaway from Pinterest right now is that the things that are on Pinterest are unrealistic for not everybody, but they're unrealistic expectations. Like some of the pictures are like, Fifteen to twenty thousand dollars worth of flowers when it's that's not the capacity that like you're looking for. So, um, I actually ask for inspiration from Pinterest, and I'm like, okay, like what do you like about that one picture? Because that's like a fifty thousand dollar picture. So, um, Pinterest has kind of dived down a little bit. I think I think people do use it to categorize their um, 
like the what they want, but people have more realistic expectations than they did five and six years ago from Pinterest. Thank God, because that was that was a long time ago. Um, but you still get a few people who are like, I want this exactly. And it's like, okay, we can do that, but it's, you're going to pay for it. So, um, I will not be sad when Pinterest goes away. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. It is dying down. I think there's a lot more different ways to find out your style. Um, I know for a lot of my friends, they had maybe like a, or a little older, if they had the bride book or their wedding book or a wedding box and they had all these, I did it. I didn't even know I was going to get married, but <laughs> you know, you have these boxes. How did you kind of talk them down out of their crazy ideas of maybe having like a giraffe at your wedding? Yeah. I try to talk them <laughs> up. I, I don't want them to be talked down. If they want to spend it, <laughs> let them spend it. Okay. Um, no, um, I'd say from what Blair sees and what I see are very different. My clients come in and already have hopefully someone like Blair in place to have already kind of chopped the tree down a little bit. So I have a quick and easy sale usually because they kind of have been guided on what they really want. A lot of people come in and just say, you know, we want some uplighting. Well, they don't know that uplighting can go from $500 to $5,000. It's just, what do you want? Do you want one column lit up and professionally or, you know, do you really want the power plaza ballroom lit up in purple? It's a whole different, you know, it's professional lighting design. Are they shocked that it's not just like part of the package? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because that's the thing. Because there's the standard in the industry. I mean, I believe even in Blair's end too, the pricing is all over the place. So I get phone calls all the time from people that will offer the same thing as someone else, just the caliber, the quality is day and night difference. And then they'll get upset when we're $1,500, $2,000 more for what they perceive as the same thing. No, I think that's like any industry, you get what you pay for, you pay less and you get bad service, you get bad customer service and you get bad products. So I think when it comes down to it, when I was planning my wedding, you had to be realistic. Do you want to be in debt because of your wedding or, you know, do you want to enjoy your wedding to a sense where it's reasonable? Um, Has there any, for either of you, has there been any requests that you're kind of like, whoa, um not really I think a lot of couples these days are paying for the weddings themselves um so we're finding that budgets are a little higher than average because they've pooled some money but most people are paying for their own weddings now so and if you have done your research like a planner shouldn't come to a shock at their cost and even for DJs and MCs um, there is like an industry standard and the people that are charging less than the industry standard, like more power to you. But at some point, the industry burnout is going to be really tough. Um, but talking to people and letting them know that there's alternatives to bringing a giraffe to a wedding, um, I think is where I thrive is because I can be super creative because that's the, my brain. So I can be creative on how to bring a giraffe to a wedding without actually bringing a giraffe to a wedding. So it's like being creative with money and how to how to make the wedding look like the couple without spending millions of dollars on one day. I'd say to make that all happen too, it comes to your network. I mean, this industry networking is absolutely crucial. We've learned from COVID that we are totally non-essential. We are the first industry to close. We'll be the last ones to fully return. And we realized once the clients were all gone in 2020, how small of a group we are in Boston and how close knit everyone is. And we all became traumatically a lot closer but <laughs> so how has COVID really impacted you guys honestly whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> soft um <laughs> tough subject so, no and it's not I mean it was tough if we were having this conversation two three months ago I probably would have burst into tears anyway so for me we sort of, I had a few weddings that instantly canceled because they knew, I had a a military couple from Texas, they're from New England, they booked me. And as soon as like March 17th rolled in, she was like, this isn't gonna happen. So, um, you know, immediately canceled. And um, DJ can attest for this too, is that as event professionals, we literally watched our businesses crumble. Like I spent five years building my network, my clientele, my referrals. And I, it was like, it was like somebody was taking money out of my bank account. So it was very scary. And I lived in denial for probably most of 2020 about it. 
Um, but with that, people started changing plans and we saw a lot of people looking for new things. So how can we safely host a wedding in my backyard? Can we do it for a budget? Like we've already spent money. We've lost money because we can't be inside a venue. How can we have a wedding in the backyard without spending just as much that we lost? So my business never really closed. Um, but I did lose a lot of other contract work because I work for a couple other planners. So I lost a lot of work, but I never lost my business per se. And I sort of made a promise to myself that I wouldn't fail. Um, so I kept pushing forward to make sure that I stayed alive. It wasn't easy. It's still not easy. It's still, it still hurts. <laughs> but so what are you doing now to adapt? How are you keeping the business afloat at the moment? So right now, um, I think from the fall, a lot of people who were, didn't have planners, but had to reschedule their wedding one or two times are now like, I'm not freaking doing this again. And they're hiring planners and they're understanding our values so much more than they would have prior to. Like a lot of people are like, I don't need a wedding planner. I can do this myself. I'm not stressed out. I don't care and the venue will help us or whatever. But now that everybody sort of sees a bigger value in your day of management, your wedding planner, we, I'm honestly gonna have a great 2021 if the regulations bump up and stay a little bit the same. Yes, fingers crossed, DJ. Um, so I think it wasn't really a hard sell on my value. And I found some, I have some really great clients this year. So I'm really excited to work with them. Um, and then for DJ in the spring, DJ sort of was like, holy shit, I have 120 weddings. Sorry, I swore. Have 120. <laughs> That's you know, okay. I'll have... put like a little disclosure. Not like <laughs> M&M style, but there's a little bit. Say so This is a lot clearer in the conversations about COVID and the wedding industry that we know. Yeah. <laughs> um, DJ was like, I have so many weddings and everybody needs to reschedule. And in the spring we didn't know what was going to happen. Everybody kept telling us, this is going to be gone at Easter. This will be gone at 4th of July. So we just kept bumping all these people out. So at some point, DJ was like, I can't handle all the postponements. I don't even know how many postponements we had, DJ. 120, 300? Yeah, no, it was in the mid hundreds. Yeah. So And it's still going. It's still going. We just got two more yeah. today for 21. So, you know, rescheduling 120 brides who are freaking out is insane so I helped DJ sort of like manage the brides and put all their information into like his CRM and so we're sort of like tag teaming business so that we can help each other not like die <laughs> like not go under just because we have too much work to do we're used to the workload but you know this workload is much different it's much more stressful and you feel bad for these people like they've lost so much money and they just want to get married. A few of our neighbors here had a wedding planned and they had to cancel everything and they ended up having backyard weddings. Do you see certain themes or um, certain requests they're making now for the weddings? Are there certain things you guys end up doing to make yeah, it easier find, for them? Yeah, they're all asking to find a state or that will allow dancing or a venue that will look the other way. Have you found states or venues that are willing to or has it venues, been difficult? You, you will not find a professional venue in New England that will not take this seriously. They all are very strict. They're all holding themselves very professionally um, to a T. And a lot of them are getting very innovative and going above and beyond. Like one of the things we recently heard that you may not see in the future is uh, lack of, there will be no more past appetizers during flu season. So little tweaks like that, that we've seen just kind of across the industry. And again, it's very close knit. What we do in music ties into, you know, what the caterer needs to do for delivering food to what the photographer needs to get the couple outside for sunset photos. And that's where you have all these different vendors that are coming together as a team that a lot of us do know each other. And because of our crazy schedules, we all are very close outside of work as well. Um, like literally, you know, Blair's like a sister to me, um, an older sister that needs to talk down to me once in a while <laughs> or keep me in line. I call him my keeper. Um, but what it came down to it is back in March and April, just the house of the cards fell and you had all these couples that are now reaching out to us because we'd said, hit us up anytime, anywhere. That's fine because we everything was so well managed. And when the train went off the tracks, 
we had brides and couples and venues and vendors all checking in like what are your policies hey we're gonna cancel we're gonna postpone and hey we are we had a discounted off-peak friday in you know march and now we're gonna move to the busiest day saturday of columbus day weekend it's just like them not understanding there's different minimums and the service that you got on friday has a different cost on saturday and then you were given a deal because you were in january and now you want july and you want july 4th and it's you know it's a pain the hassle and traffic and so that real delicate balance, that, that's kind of where Blair came in. It was like, all right, I need you to keep me calm so I don't tell a bride off because we're the ones that are normally making them all excited and dancing and laughing and, um, and trying to keep their buzz going. But it was at some point where they come, they come at us and they'd already rebooked and stuff and just we weren't available. Now they lose their retainer uh, with us and all the other vendors. So where Blair came in, actually, that has been a huge thing for us. I think for both of our companies is we handled the postponements and said, look, you can do it yourself and you're probably going to lose a deposit from somebody or many people, but let us go to your venue and to all the vendors. We know the jargon to speak. We know who to talk to and you know, what questions to ask and let us reoffer you two or three dates that were all mutually available where you can just copy and paste. And then that's it. None of us really across the industry charged any, we all came together. We all had a bunch of power. I was back in March and April. We decided not to charge rebooking fees. We were going to hold an honor fund more retainers. Otherwise, that's where the businesses would have collapsed. Um, anyone that did have to cancel outside the retainers, we let them drop their contract and either any overpayments were refunded or just their balance wiped out. But that has been, I'd say, the number one point that we see in our reviews from weddings of 2020 is just the lack of stress because we were able to just do it all for them and we essentially in a day or two had weddings replanned several times so where do you guys think weddings will look like or the difference from when you you had them before to you know even in 2021 once this is all gone do you see weddings looking differently or you know people the way they spend money or what they actually want for the weddings like you said about the appetizers and so forth Blair, we've both seen some different states, but you most recently worked out of state. Do you want to talk about what the difference is between up here and down south? Yeah, I think that there's going to be some things that are going to stay, that are going to be, that were good. There are things that were good that came from COVID. So um, we actually just did a, a wedding recently in Florida and we had to wear masks on the dance floor, which is totally fine. We agreed to that because we were in um, Fort Lauderdale and and most of Florida is open except for Broward, Dade County and Miami County. Um, so we had to wear masks when we were in common areas and we had to keep, we had to keep reminding the guests to wear their masks. So I, I'll be happy when masks sort of dissipate in the fall and early 2022. I just think because people are just, we're complacent and it's been a very long year for us. Um, but Not to interrupt, but how do you guys deal with that with photography and pictures? Like, you so know how you get I, in the moment photos? How does that work? I just can't imagine. I, yeah, so um, with this particular client, everybody got COVID tested the week we were in Florida. I actually had COVID, so I'm feeling a little bit more safe about it. Um, and a lot of the guests were in Florida and anybody that came from Florida, from Massachusetts to Florida um, got tested. So we were very safe about it and um, I think photography wise, family pictures, there was no masks. We were outside for a lot of them during the ceremony. I've been looking at a lot of pictures and it, as much as you look at somebody's ceremony pictures, you don't focus on the guests. You're looking at the bride and groom and I looked for masks cause I was wondering like where they were and stuff like that. But I don't necessarily think that it's gonna be terrible if people have to wear masks. Um, for photos the dance floor photos might look a little funny because everybody's sweating but they're wearing a mask um but again when you share a photo you're going to share one that looks it's about the bride and groom so I don't necessarily think that you know anybody's really going to look back at their pictures and be like oh man I had a dance floor and everybody's wearing a mask but you know what we got to Florida we got married and we had a dance floor so I'm happy for that so um I think I think it's okay. I mean, it looks it it used when you think about it, it sounds funny, but it's gonna be fine. I don't it, if that's what you're stressed out about. I don't think that you should get married. Like, and I personally, I don't think I spent about three months during COVID in Florida, uh, back and forth, and I got to witness all of Florida's reopening phases and. We've been questioning up here. It's okay if, if Massachusetts goes to full reopening tomorrow. How long until you see a packed bar again? How long until there's a, a line outside of a nightclub? How long until you got 500 people in the ballroom or 
50,000 people in a convention. And I think the general psych of the, the population will trust that, okay, if we're in, we've been doing this so long that we're, you know, we're literally what people miss most sports, weddings, concerts, you know, we have been the fun things that have been taken away. So I think there's just so much pent up demand. Um, like uh, me personally, we're down 86% total revenue, gross revenue for 2020. We're up in inquiries. We're up to about 100% revenue for 21. We're back on par already. And it's, you know, it's only, excuse me, January, but we're up over 240% in inquiries. So there's a lot of people that just said, you know, we were going to do the small wedding and, you know, or they had someone, they, they didn't do like the thing that we didn't rebook them. And now they're finding new DJs or new planners or, uh, or just people that just are ready to do events again. So there's just a whole year, year and a half almost when it's over backup. So I think we're all in a good place and I don't think you're going to really see restrictions go too much longer. I'm fairly confident that July 4th will be the social event in the Northeast that you'll start seeing maybe two, 300 people. Um, and I don't think maybe till late fall or next 2022, will you see the large scale events that, you know, sporting events. Yeah. Hopefully fingers uh, crossed things kind of get back to the way it is in terms of normalcy. And it's, you know, like it, the people like everyone should just cancel everything, but in a sense, it's up to the bride and groom, you know, it's up to them and their family and the comfortability of them wanting to host a wedding. No one's forcing them to host it. Um, so that's the hardest thing I think for a lot of people to understand is people have to make their own decisions to be safe for themselves. Um, so in like, you know, you, if you close everything, you guys and every industry is going to suffer. So that's the hardest cool. thing for a lot of people to understand who have a job right now and who are doing somewhat okay. Other people aren't, and we need to start doing something for those who aren't. And I think that's going to be a it's a going concern for us in the industry uh, with the conversations with the clients coming up where those that are still kind of hanging on for April, May, and June in Massachusetts of large numbers, and they only want to have their wedding large numbers. If the guest count is 25, unfortunately, this is where like, you know, you're seeing all the wedding industry get bashed is if you choose on your own to cancel, we operate on 52 Saturdays a year. You know, we sell our dates, our inventory, and a lot of work gets, a lot more get work gets done ahead of time than the day of. I don't think a lot of people understand that. So when someone says, hey, you know, we can't have 25 people on this prime date, you know, we, you know, we can't have 250 people on this prime date in the Saturday, we're going to push it up three weeks, do it in New Hampshire and, you know, have the full amount. It's like, well, we're not available. And you could have had that event. The government didn't shut you down. So if we resell it, cool, you get a refund. Otherwise, it's probably not going to happen. That's where a lot of the the bashing that we, I mean, we've, I think Blair and I, we've mitigated a lot of it. We haven't really gotten anything negative. And I should say, while we're talking about doing all these big weddings in different states and with dance floors, neither Blair nor I, nor I don't think any of our colleagues and, and respected professionals on network have been a part of or a cause of any outbreak in the last, you know, the entire time of coronavirus. I think we're, as a vendor community, us reeling, you know, from what's going on together it's our social responsibility to make sure these guests are doing as best they can. None of us want to be the mass police. None of us want to be the dance floor police. No one wants to go to, you know, I don't want to DJ a wedding where you're going to sit at your table all night and sing Kumbaya. It's so it's forced us all to be very creative, but to also really, really encourage the rule following. So what is it about the back ends that you guys, that people don't see, you want them to know about all the work you put into it. What is it about the, the things everyone doesn't see all of a sudden it's like, there's the wedding and how beautiful it is, but there's so much going on on the side. Um, yeah, so I actually restructured the way that I give clients proposals. Um, there was actually a Judge Judy TV show a couple weeks ago where they had a bride and a, and a wedding planner on. And um, she won part of the case and had to refund a small portion, but what happens is, is that people who get hired for day of coordination um, specifically work for the day of, and the pre-work for them is obviously putting together the puzzle piece. But if you don't clarify that in your contract or proposal, then you're sort of not providing a service. You didn't show up the day of the wedding because they didn't have a wedding um, or it got canceled or whatever happened. So actually I work anywhere from 
a hundred to like probably 400 hours on a wedding without a postponement. So if it's a regular day of coordination, day of management for me, I'm somewhere in the 150 to 300 hours of pre-wedding work. And that's getting to know the client, getting to know the vendors, putting some pieces together, making sure that all the riders are in, in place. So Um, I've restructured the way that I give my proposals and I tell them pre-wedding and the week of the wedding so that nobody can hold me, hold me liable. Actually, I had a client do it to me and say, you didn't do anything for us, which is not true. I clocked about 250 hours on their day of. Um, so I am very consistent in timekeeping. So I know where my hours are allocated and nobody's ever going to tell me that I don't do anything before wedding. So, um, there's a lot that goes into a wedding. You have to connect with the vendors. You have to put the design details together. Like I have to track down people for a cell phone number. And sometimes that takes an hour of of 15 emails. So um, there's a lot that goes into a wedding. And I, and when the day happens, the brides are like, oh, wow, this just happened. And it's like, it did just happen because I've been working for 300 hours. So um, (laughs) Very interesting. Very now, is interesting. that one of your biggest recommendations to anyone in the business is to really track what you're doing and keep all your records and so forth? 100%. I didn't realize how important timekeeping was until I, until that woman, a, a client asked how many hours I had worked for her. And I was like, oh, I haven't tracked this. Let me do some digging. And it probably took me two hours to figure out. So Um, I'm very meticulous in my timekeeping now because I need to be able to pay myself, but also that I need to be charging appropriately to the new client. So I think that's the biggest question for a lot of people who want to own a business is how do you track your own profit and pay yourself? Um, So in that sense, it's just like people don't see that. They see the people making millions, driving these great cars, but little do they know they're working like nine to nine the next day. And it's just, I think that's the hardest thing for young kids or teenagers or people who see someone like Elon Musk or Bill Gates not going to college and making all this money. It's it's all the back end. Like what you do in the back end is how you make your money. And I think, you know, as DJ, you probably know, talk about this more is when you go into the high schools and you talk to the kids about entrepreneurship. What is the main thing you try to get into them and help them learn? essentially that I mean the biggest thing for me was I was forced to mature by the time I was 16 or 17 so I wasn't always going to the parties and if I was it was because I was working um, and getting paid and a lot of them I feel have especially now they all you know access the cell phones and they can see what their friends are up to is just that FOMO and you know you know it's hard to find a kid to be a busboy at Gaetano's on Friday and Saturday nights because you know they have whatever else they're doing going on um, it's a lot easier for them to access things than when we were kids with these phones, like, you know, drugs and alcohol. So it's the partying in the woods with the keg is, you know, a little bit more, a lot more dangerous now um, and more widespread. So it's just they don't want to miss out on these fun things. And like you look at all these YouTube stars who make, you know, millions and millions of dollars and have millions and millions of followers by like, you know, making some pranks on YouTube or dancing on TikTok. And they just, they see how easy that is and they think that they can become an influencer and they don't realize that there's a lot of elbow grease and no matter what you do, you got to put into it. Like if you want to become a TikTok star, you got to hit the gym for a while, it seems. <laughs> and you've got to have a lot of these connections. You've got to have access to these celebrities that can, you know, elevate your platform. But down like on a lower level, entrepreneur level, you've got to, you know, you've got to have a mentor that could help you learn a payroll system. And um, Stoneham High School, an economics teacher, professor, uh, Craig von Snyder, Mr. V, as they know him, he kind of noticed that in me and pulled me aside, said, you need a business plan. You can't just be depositing money left and right, you know, get taxes and this and that. And so he kind of, before going into college, put a good head on my shoulders. And then I realized in school, I got a full ride to UTAMP and I could have either went to UTAMP and had a blast or I had had him and a couple other mentors that sat me down and said, there is, you know, you can see where this is going. You just got to get away from the party type stuff and get more into the, you know, expanded a lot more. And so it took a lot of networking on top of that, more education, the more specialized stuff. We were going to conventions and we were joining like ILEA and event association uh, and doing these like network education opportunities. And 
I think it was without those mentors and without that hustle, you know, you can't build any business. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that kids really need to learn is networking and being appropriate and mature when they're out. So with that said, for you, DJ, having DJs and hiring people, what is it that you kind of look for? How do you get those certain people to really be involved in the company? This year may change how that, how, what I'm about to say. Uh, it may change it drastically. However, normally... I think I've got a pretty good judge of character and we will pick someone who has absolutely no experience and then put them through a 10 month training program. And then from the ground up, we will develop them into one of Boston's top entertainers. And, you know, it's an on the job training type thing. So it's very difficult right now where there's no weddings and you want them to be at 30, 40 weddings before they're you know sold on their own. And so it's slowing down that, um, you know, so we, we may change to working more of uh, like, kind of like an agency style, maybe working with some, some contractors that way we can bring in more people that are, um, you know, already experienced, but for us right now, it's their personality, their cadence. Uh, are they showing up before a nice wedding in sweats and a t-shirt or, or you know, are they going to be in nice jeans or, um, you know, we, we're a pretty laid back company, our personality. So we only require them to be formal when they need to be formal. I don't need them wearing goofy, you know, golf polos and khakis showing up to, I don't care what the venue is. I don't care if it's the nicest place in the world. You know, they're in the industry is called dress black. So just, they get to wear like boots and jeans, dark jeans, clean jeans, and then like a black branded shirt. And then the idea is that's kind of like what stage crew wear. And that's essentially like what I want their mindset to be. Don't just have that ego of like a club DJ or a nightlife DJ, you know, be a personality that you're representing this couple, but you need to also totally shut up and be in the background. So you're the one on the microphone everyone hears, but you should not be who everyone sees, you know? So it's a very delicate balance of getting them to totally understand that you were not in the limelight. Now, when we do proms, then we can mess around and, you know, show off and do the more cool turntablism stuff and the flashy lights and flashy DJ equipment. But at a wedding, I want the people that, know how to project themselves can you know make people smile and laugh just to have natural draw people to them but know when to draw the line and shut up and like let the you know let the timeline roll let the event go on has there been ever a time where there was a dj that kind of just stepped over the line in that sense you don't have to name names just wondering just wondering yeah. no yeah, yeah quite a few uh, some, some have some have quit in violent storms of rage and some have been fired in almost equivalent violent storms of rage um, it, it's in this industry, unfortunately, you deal with a lot of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, and so when you start getting on the more talents end of things, uh, and I'd say even in the catering and bartending world too, it's same like you hear restaurants are hostile and, you know, there's always drug and alcohol issues. And so riding that fine line of did that person pour themselves a rum and coke when they shouldn't have, or did they just sneak in 12 nips and, you know, so trying to keep an eye on that kind of stuff and like not burning these people out on the weekends, but that's what some of them came down to. Like the, one of the ones that had quit on, on bad terms was just burnt out, was working every single weekend. We were exploding at the time. And then some of the other ones that quit are things that I can't talk about. <laughs> uh, excuse me, that were fired I can't talk about. But it was not, um, not easy conversations to have any of these. Definitely ruined some friendships too because it's a fine line between, you know, there's a couple million dollars in the line here. Have you, you noticed that when it, you were like younger in high school where you had it kind of, distance yourselves and certain people who want to be a part of the company but it just didn't match what you were looking for yes and I had people that that saw me as like the you just work all the time and you know I've lost some of my closest friends because of it um now I think I've got the closest confidants I've had in my life like Blair being one of them I think I talked to Blair what 20 times a day easily <laughs> every day no, like in no respective time either that's either four in the morning or at midnight or 10 a.m um but it's been beneficial career wise and because i have done this so long it's just kind of like a family so i feel you know i feel like i fit in what about you blair How, starting off what have you changed in yourself your personality and your confidence it's just you i'm guessing who runs your company or do you have others who support you as well um, I do every, mostly everything myself. Um, I spend a lot of time like for myself reading entrepreneurial books, doing some self-reflection. Um, that's something I learned at a, a younger age um, to make sure that I was putting money back into myself as well. Um, I do have a few staff members, they're contractors that I bring on site with me that have 
been pretty loyal to me and know the wedding industry and um, can help me get through long wedding days. Um, I also work for a few other planners um, just to help them have a professional on site. Same for DJ, you know, you want you want great people on site representing your name. So um, I've sort of built a little network of um, younger planners that are looking to grow their business. And if I can help them by working for me for a few hours, then, you know, everybody wins. I'm, I'm huge, huge community over competition person. Um, I want everybody to thrive and I want everybody to be in business. So um, I've helped a lot of people. I've also, I have two mentors that I check in with and, you know, we sort of compare notes and um, helping DJ out with the cancellations helped me see some of the other sides of vendors and how planners sort of get a bad rap for trying to take over weddings. And it's not my style, but um, I'm very no BS person anyway. <laughs> that is true. She I was just going to ask on. you, how do you show off your confidence in a sense of professionalism and not make it seem like you know it all? It's, it's tough. It must be a fine line since it's only you and you're the heart and the, you know, the parents of the company. So now our industry, this front of house and back of house, uh, <laughs> you're in restaurants, catering events, um, and back of house is where we can be normal people and you know and there usually is a lot of venting because a lot of these events there's a very very you know all these vendors together plus the catering staff is a very small group of employees and a lot of inebriated adults um or kids or whatever you know mitzvah you got whatever going on but then front of house is very white glove in this industry especially in boston uh so i think both of us and i think a i'd say almost all of our colleagues are very well put together very well spoken very professional hold themselves to very high standards um but yeah there's always that back of house like can you believe that bitch on table floor <laughs> she had to ask for electric slide again <laughs> also um for me i if anybody who knows me knows that i am kind of a no bs person and you can tell the vendors who are there to sort of make a dollar and you can tell the vendors that are there for the bride and groom. And when I send out an email, I typically know who my trouble vendors are going to be. And I respect it. Like everybody's trying to make money, but there comes a point where um, everybody just needs to work together to get the, to get to the common goal. And that's to get our couple married. So vendors like that, I just, okay, you want to yell at me over something stupid? You can yell at me, but I'm not going to carry that with me. Um, and people like to call me bossy and it's, I'm not bossy. I'm the leader. So um, something that I just sort of live by is that I'm not trying to be bossy. I'm trying to get somewhere. So come along, like, let's just go. So um, I just, I try to be cool and calm and collected and sometimes I lose it, but not very often. And usually it's behind it's back of house if I do so, but <laughs> I think another issue that we run into a lot is, is in Blair's role. And I guess all of each of our roles is you with this no barrier to entry, you get a lot of people that do this on the side and they may do a, a handful of these a year for fun. And, you know, Blair and I do this full time, you know, 90, hundred hours a week. So it's, when you go into something, it's kind of very easy to spot right away the what, you know, the elephant in the room of, of who doesn't really get it. Um, or when someone asks like, what's on the time, you know, uh, what's the order of events? It's like, well, it's kind of always the same every time. So if you don't know that you may not have done this enough. Um, but it's a lot more fun, obviously to work with when someone like Blair is there leading and orchestrating everybody, because again, these vendors are hired by the client who is now drinking and in love and just got married and they're no longer there to manage us. So it kind of becomes like a pissing contest of, okay, is the photographer in charge? Cause they need to get the shots. Is the DJ in charge? Is we get the microphone? Is the cater in charge? Cause the food's going to get cold. And so I don't think a lot of couples understand. I know a lot of couples don't understand the true value of having someone like Blair it's there. Um, and a lot of them, and I'm not downplaying this role at all, but a lot of them think that their venue manager is their event planner. And then I'll run through the list of like, are they moving your flowers from the church to the venue? Are they going to, you know, secure your gifts and bring them back to the house, the hotel? Are they there to bustle your dress, you know, every 15 minutes? And um, I've worked, I've had the pleasure of working with Blair quite a few times and seeing her in action. I don't know how the girl doesn't walk around with an oxygen tank. It was just, her step count's got to be, you know, that Fitbit, whatever you got on your, you got to be blown through the roof by the time that wedding's over. I mean, I, I know I walk miles a wedding. 
I typically walk six to ten miles a wedding day, even yeah, in a I'm, small venue. I'm three to five. That's pretty impressive. Um, you know, it's funny you say that because for our wedding, we knew everybody who did everything, and I still hated doing all that crap. So everyone we had, I come. My husband's a huge Italian family, so of course someone does something in every company. Um, so that was nice because it's like, oh, they're not going to screw me over. So with that said, you know, it's, it's it, when you say that and I think about our wedding, it's like we were very lucky we didn't spend as much money as we could. But people don't think about it. I would never think how the flower is going to get to the church because that's never you've never seen that happen in person because you're the guest running over to get drunk on the dance floor. So I think that's a lot of things, you know as long as you're straightforward and the clients understand it, hopefully that makes it easier. Um, and you know, you have to just meet the clients, I'm guessing their personalities and the sense to meet what they're looking for. Um, what do you guys see for the future for you guys in regards to after COVID's all done, what are your goals, any changes or plans you guys have? Um, I plan on hiring Blair primarily. I'm already really, really working hard at it. Um, and then growing the company to, we've already kind of begun several months ago, but growing the company to build in Blair's service, it's just, it makes my world a lot easier. It takes a lot of stress off my plate because Blair also does virtual assistant for us. So she kind of handles a lot of what's going on anyway. So we can tag team and I can bring her in to plan everything because we don't make a lot of our money on the DJs. All of our you know revenue with the bulk of it really comes from the novelties and the lighting and the rentals and things like that. So, you know, Blair can, Blair's one creative mind. It's tough to kind of, you know, duplicate her. I can train from the ground up people that I, I need to take direction well. Um, and Blair can do it with her staff, but for her to really, you know, she can earn a lot more per night or per event because she's got a lot more involved and a lot more creativity involved where we're based on volume. So we may do several hundred weddings a year. Blair, I don't think most planners would hit that point unless you're at like a national, you know, planning level and you're planning things like concerts and conventions and stuff like that. But in our social event world, we may be a very good team. So I see um, a lot more collaboration between us and back where what Blair said to her point earlier about community versus competition. I think the people that are struggling the most right now are the ones that are fiercely competitive. The rest of us have been checking in with each other. Just, you know, we need to know each other's families and just checking in health and, and you know, mental wise. Or, hey, you know, I'm swamped. We've got a lot of these weddings that want to stay with us. You know how our brand works. We know how yours works. Like, can we work under each other's flags, do a little pass off of money here, make sure we can fill each other's calendars. And because of that, I think the event industry overall, I think it's headed for the, it has been the largest contraction in the history of this industry. Um, it is comprehensively totally shut down right now. I think that the roaring toys are going to hit us. And I think those that have made it through COVID have actually done something with themselves and better themselves through this and not just, you know, let the business kind of hang on. I think they're in for a pretty good fortune in the very near future. Over the course of the next three years, there's a lot of demand that there's just the supply of us isn't there. So it's going to affect pricing, you know, not in the best way for the consumer and in a very good way for the owners uh, and the employees are all getting raises. There's just a lot of work coming up and I think you're going to see a lot more, people that aren't really cutting corners, but then, you know, will apply a budget appropriately, take someone like planner's vision, um, like Blair's vision and that like, apply it actually professionally in the way that it should versus like, okay, I want a chocolate fountain. I also want the chocolate fondue and all these other different things. I think you're going to see a lot more higher end stuff. What about you, Blair? What do you think the future looks like for this industry I in itself? Yep. I think that there's going to be a lot more intimate celebrations um and catering has definitely stepped up to the game so i do think that we're gonna see a rise on cool catering shit i think that we're gonna see small weddings where the big weddings will never stop that's that's definitely gonna happen but i think the 100 to 120 people is gonna be sort of a niche coming through also, that catering has up to their game so i think we're gonna see a lot of a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipe and people are going to pay for quality and they're going to see that. And to those people who are survived 2020 and who are going to survive 2021 are going to thrive in 2022. I know that it sucks to think another year ahead, but we have to get through 2021. So 
Um, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of good stuff coming down for us. And I think it's just gonna, I think the wedding, yeah, most likely, like, yeah, we so, not so we're going to be okay. Yeah, because our 2021s are very busy as it is, but a large, lot of it is for 2020. So whenever we actually fully reopen, it's still going to take us another year to get all these backlog contracts taken care of and all these weddings shuffled around. And so, you know, like I said, I like we're up over 240% in our inquiries and bookings are up significantly as well. But it's a lot of people that realize like, okay, let's just get this over with, do it now. You know, we're going to move to New Hampshire, get it over with, or um, they're just going to be, I've got a lot of couples in May in Massachusetts. I think they're having 300 people and, I don't know when that tough conversation is coming. Blair and I already had a long talk about it this weekend. I was just um, going to ask you that. What we do? You guys have a plan of action or some kind of advocacy plan to do in case Massachusetts shuts, shuts down again? We actually yeah. just talked about that yesterday. Um, I was on a we I was on a clubhouse last week and uh, with a few planners. And what we're going to do is. I sort of encouraged anybody that was listening and I will encourage anybody that's listening now that's a bride or anybody is that to reach out to your venue or to reach out to somebody and just say, what are you doing? Are you, are you looking at postponements? Are you not? And we're going to reach out to a couple of venues and see what their policies are because right now, you know, couples need to send their invites out eight to 12 weeks in advance. They need to get those numbers and they need to know if people are comfortable with COVID, what they're, you know, what they're going to do. So people are going to start postponing and moving a little bit earlier. I think this year, you know, last year we were on a two week schedule. I was replanning weddings in less than two weeks. So I think if we're a little more proactive, nobody wants to talk about it, but we have to, we have to figure out how to get people married. And if they don't want to get married, five people, they're going to go to New Hampshire and we're going to find places in New Hampshire for them to get married. Yeah. So. Yeah, and then that's been a really hard part with the, the lockdowns, too, is if they announce on Friday that on Sunday or Monday we're going from 100 people to 25, you know, at that point, you've already got these weddings that have already, the venues have already ordered the food, the design work's done, the, you know, bridesmaid dresses are all in. And I mean, we've done weddings where we've had 30 bridesmaids and groomsmen. I mean, that's your entire guest list right there. You know, and now I, you have to take in consideration the staff and... I don't think that people understand the way the food industry works or the floral industry too, because you can't just, you don't just order your flowers on Friday for a Saturday wedding. You order your flowers two weeks in advance. Food companies are delivering like on a biweekly basis. So they're ordering their food for 200 people two weeks in advance so that they have it there. They need to prep it. So, you know, two weeks is enough time to replan a wedding, but it sucks to replan a wedding in less than two weeks. It's not cool. It sucks. And it's been a total collapse of our entire supply chain as well. I mean, everyone oh, is there something you guys are doing to advocate that to maybe state officials or can you, is there anything you can well. do as an association? <laughs> Just totally. wondering, is, there, is that a tough subject? <laughs> no, 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 no. Blair, Blair and I have been very, very vocal. Blair, you, you take it from me. As, you know I what have, I'll say. I have written Charlie Baker and the opening committee a letter probably every four days since March. Um... I know a few people who are on like the reopening committee and honestly, there's so many of us reaching out. I don't think that they want to hear from us anymore. We have a few people that like have most of our best interest in, in their brains and they're talking to those people. So there's some people who are advocating for us from the events industry who are doing good things. Um, there's definitely a few coalitions that grew from this. Some of them, um, are doing great things and you know we're still working and listening to get extended pandemic unemployment i've been in waiting for mine and it's been a little stressful so um we there's a lot of people out there doing good things you just have to find the right people to talk to to make sure your voice is heard but right now i'm just one person in massachusetts so it's a little disheartening but we're trying and to tag off Blair, we are both a part of, I'm on the board of, and Blair is a, uh, on a committee with us on what's called the Live Events Coalition, the Massachusetts Live Events Coalition. And we're a spinoff of a national organization that grew, I believe, at the beginning from the concert and theater and convention world um, to kind of advocate for the stagehands and the lighting riggers, the people that build the stages at Fenway Park for the Foo Fighters. Um, the ones who, when they do their job correctly, aren't seen at all. 
you know, and think of the spill out from this and the shutdowns has been the valet attendants and the coat check person and the front desk at the hotel that does your room block and, you know, the limo drivers and, you, you know, the, excuse me, the rehearsal dinner restaurant. It's just the dominoes, you know, all kind of went at once. And so we got involved with Massachusetts Live Events Coalition, which is a grassroots organization that began in April or May, I believe, of the 2020. And what we've been advocating for, for essentially our employees, I mean, money for the businesses as well. Like the, one of the points that we're advocating for is uh, increased PPP, which we just got. One of the things was save our stages, which just passed as well in the relief bill. Um, and that provides for independent music venues. And I'm watching a lot of the conversation people saying like, Oh, like screw the entertainment industry. Like they, they're associating a lot with celebrity and Hollywood and, um, and not, you know, they're in the movie with Ben Affleck, the guy that's holding the boom mic over the camera. They, you know, people don't realize that it's not just these actors and them. It's, you know, there's 12 million of us in this industry that are behind the scenes, not including the celebrities and those, that, you know, the top end echelons of this. And so the other things have been, like Blair said, increased uh, pandemic unemployment insurance for the gig workers, because a lot of these are freelancers and, you know, weren't paying into unemployment or, or they didn't have an employer to pay into it. They were just going theater to theater, concert to concert. Um, and working in all these different states with different tax schools and all this kind of stuff. So, and then our other point was to have someone get in contact with, or, you know, from think of a company like live nation or Ticketmaster, like that's really up there and it has a real high level knowledge of large scale events. And cause safety is kind of literally, well, not kind of, it literally is the number one thing we do in safety and numbers. Uh, and that's how like these festivals and concerts and conventions can all happen. And so it was to get someone on Charlie Baker's reopening committee to say, you have no one representing restaurants, events, and tourism, which you've shut down till phase four. What is the science saying? Like, you know, you said, like, all right, we'll reopen at phase four. So there's been, I've noticed, I mean, Florida has been reopened. I think most of the population agrees to reopen up there. I'm seeing up here. A lot of my social media has had the F word next to Charlie Baker in it quite a few times. It's just like, you did it to us again another two weeks um and so but i noticed the mentality amongst the vendors is very uh polarized there are those that have not left home since march and there are those like me who are on my 22nd thousand mile of traveling during the pandemic um you know it's and it, it's it's caused some strain in relationships i've noticed and you know seeing especially when you have these facebook comments that people can screenshot and keep forever and it's it's been tough within our own community but the advocacy work i think is helping a lot of them realize that you know we, we do need help that they are kind of being left high and dry right now but there is a large community of almost 2,000 of us in Massachusetts that are raising our voice and like I personally won't benefit from this but making sure that my staff aren't losing their apartments because of government restriction you know and the hardest part is a lot of them like we can't get other jobs right now if we wanted to we're too busy so some things have worked the Baker thing has not uh, but we did get the other federal stuff that we've been calling and calling and calling for. I was just going to ask you, has Baker even reached out to any office members or? Nope. We, we threw him a $200,000 private wedding back in October. Like a, a, a very elegant, very, a lot of hands in the pot here of some of the most elite companies in the Boston events industry. Uh, and we did it down at the prestigious Lombardo's and Randolph and a, a company that has existed, a family company that's existed for 90 four years in 2021 i believe 95 and we we sent out elegant invitations i mean we had this whole thing branded we had we part of it was we built into the design of the event and, and how it all looked the aesthetics all these safety guidelines so it wasn't just a sanitizer bottle it was something that you know a graphic designer had redone and made it look fancier a different kind of you know showing how we can go above and beyond and how we could also do it for 250 people and have all these different things like a substitute for a dance floor and substitutes for buffets and walk-up bars and how QR codes can be implemented. And for weeks we had harped on them and the news stations and Baker's office didn't even pick up the phone. <laughs> didn't even send us an auto email reply. That's so it's just been incredible. You guys must be so frustrated. I mean, I can't imagine, like you said, that you can't just go off to Burger King and get a job in the meantime. That's not how it works. And I yeah, think that's the busy. hardest thing for people to understand is like, okay, you're out of job, go get another. Well, that's not really how it, this is such a specific industry and you guys are busy, but not to a sense where your workers are able to make a living and stay afloat. Um, yeah. Right now it's just Blair and I know I normally have a dozen. What would be ideal for you guys if COVID's still around, really, just for to rationalize and kind of meet Baker in the middle? What would be your ideal way to do this if COVID's still around this year? 
mine would be to go down south. <laughs> the supply and demand is there. We could easily retool the company anywhere else. We already are working on a Fort Lauderdale as it is. Um, but to do it in Massachusetts, I mean, for a company like mine, wouldn't be worth. We, we have to change into something totally different. We wouldn't still be entertainment. We would still be production. Um, we'd have to do something more specialized, like getting into more of the media and like photography and videography um, or getting, I mean, we'd need a lot of money to retool, but to get into like socially distant activities and stuff and, and buying new products or designing and building them ourselves would just be too much of a cost burden to, to start where we, I don't think there'll be a long-term benefit of it. What about you, Blair? Yeah, and it's not just me as a planner, like the venues, like we would have to, like we essentially to host any wedding over 10 or 25 people, we'd have to have like on-site testing and all of this other stuff. And and I am, I'm a COVID, like COVID's real. I believe in COVID, um, but I also believe that we can do things safely. So like he needs to ask the right people who can help him get to there like safely like we I've hosted 12 safe weddings there's not been one COVID case from any of my 12 weddings this year um due to testing and socially distant games and socially distant dance floors like there are ways to prevent COVID um he just needs people need to ask the right questions and have the right people there to make those decisions so and it's tough too because you we had worked several weddings that were in the 100 to you know, 200 person range this summer and this fall, but in New Hampshire where it was allowed. And they're at 100% capacity. There's no mask mandate. All the staff, all of us, the caterers, the planners that were involved, photographers, were largely all in masks the entire time. But we had several clients that showed up and just said, the rules aren't here for this. And it's up to the venue if they want to enact it on their own prior property. But a lot of them aren't going to tell the couples now. So we had these packed dance floors that we really couldn't advertise. Just the optics of it looked bad. I mean, we, we understand that we're naturally a super spreader industry and we can only mitigate it as much as possible. And I'm someone too that already had COVID. And um, I mean, fortunately, I, it didn't really affect me. And so it's kind of now it's like, all right, well, if you're going to have the packed dance floor. I don't mind. Um, there's only you know, I get sick all the time. And, and is it probably from work? I, I think you'd see a lot of people in the hospitality industry that get run down because they're catching something from someone. It's just, I, I believe in my immune system. It's worked well for three decades. <laughs> Still gas in the tank. Still here, which is good. That, that helps. <laughs> you guys, it's been great. This has been very interesting. I think it's nice to hear the back end of everything and see how you guys meld in together and just knowing what happens behind the stage and how you guys are actually, it's nice to hear how you guys, not nice, but knowing what you guys are dealing with right now. And I think it's interesting. People will probably start thinking of your, of your industry differently and seeing you guys definitely and hope advocating for the same thing you guys are looking for. Um, did you just kind of want to take a moment, each of you separately, just to talk about what you offer and how to get in contact and just so forth? Yeah, so we are largely a DJ company. We do have instrumentals as well. Uh, we focus on the corporate and the wedding world with probably 80% of the business being weddings. Uh, we do everything else still. We still do some middle school dances and use it as training for the younger guys. But we also offer things like photo booths uh, and several different types of them, things like dance floors and gaming equipment and a full lighting production service, uh, in-house graphic design, animation, stuff like that. Um, we can do video screens. We can do video. We are licensed for professional drone footage as well. And that's kind of where our, our next kind of pivot is, is pivoting totally from entertainment focus to just the entire media end of the production side of the industry. So if, if you can see it, hear it, um, I guess it's those two. If you can see it or hear it, it's something that we can provide. Awesome. And what's the best way to get in contact with you? Our Instagram is at Spinner Music. We're usually in a normal non-COVID world, pumping that full of behind the scenes, uh, drunken people dancing and happy brides. Uh, and a lot of cool, like the Fortune 500 companies we get to work with and a lot of their experiential events and things that you never even imagined existed in the events world or like, you know, atmospheres we can put you in. So love to highlight all those type of things. Plus uh, we're big on food too. So some of our favorite caterers, we love sharing the food and our own little foodie side of things. Other than that, our website is spinnermusicdj.com or in our office number out of Stoneham, Mass. Uh, company's born and raised there is 978 310 3113. 
Awesome, thank you, DJ. What about you, Blair? Um, I'm Blair from BAM Events. I am a partial wedding planner. I also do day of management. I have a little niche in the tented industry. I do love a backyard wedding. Um, and you can and she's find- damn good at it. <laughs> I'm pretty good at it. Thanks, DJ. Um, my Instagram is BAM Events B-O-S, so BAM Events Boss. Um, my website is bamevents.net. I also have a small virtual administrative company. It's called Virtually Yours. And you can find that on bamevents.net as well. So you just made me feel really lazy. Just everything <laughs> you did, I'm like, wow, I feel really lazy right now. Wait, but she's but she's got one more that's just keeping her just as busy right now. What? Oh, you know, Blair can do customize anything, like favors oh. for events, gifts, uh, t-shirts, sweatshirts. Like right. Blair does our apparel. I, mean, I do have a little Etsy shop. It's called the uh, Crafty Bee uh, Gift Studio. So I have a little gift studio on Etsy as well. So, so. that's that must you know. Just before we end, that must does. Do your brides ever utilize that piece in regards to making like shirts and stuff for the wedding, or like when they take photos before the wedding begins? Yep, I've done robes, t-shirts, wine glasses. Um, when we started switching dates for everybody. We sent out really pretty wine glasses with their old date and their new date on them. Um, so we, I've done a, I've done a lot of cool stuff. So I would never think to do that. To be honest, that would never occur to me to start something customizing apparel because you, everyone goes on Etsy to grab it anyway. So why not just include oh, it in your service? She can do candles, Yetis, you name it. Do everything. Koozies. Now I feel really, really lazy. <laughs> no. Um, the other thing too, just a small shout out for anybody that is listening. If you go on Etsy, you can support Massachusetts people. You just have to filter it appropriately. Um, so you can shop absolutely local. So thank you guys for being on the show. Thanks now once again, us. this is Allison from the Locally Sourced Podcast, and that was Blair and DJ. Thank you so much, guys. Bye.